There was one uh, woman that we met at Villaviv train station and she just stared down the barrel of the camera crying and said, It's really terrible. I was safe for our friends in all country. Help for us. Help for Ukraine because the Russian people kill us about nothing. Killing us for no reason. So that one I think about lots. That's News Hub's Europe correspondent Lisette Raymer and cameraman Dan Pannett remembering a moment at the Lviv train station in Ukraine where they watched thousands of panicked refugees cramming into trains to get out of their country. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Detail I'm talking to Lisette and Dan in the port city of Odessa about their work in a war zone. We're in a hotel. We we try and stay where all the major news networks are staying, so it's a safety thing, safety in numbers, and, and we can all kind of share information and plans. Is it tense? What's it like to be there? Coming into the city, it was um, when we came in from the border, we noticed a massive change from yeah. um, when we were in Lviv um, last week. It was just like another another level of, of security and just like checkpoints and bunkers were built into the paddocks on the on the side of the road, like all the ploughed up wheat fields were turned into trenches and it felt a lot more and, like a war zone. Like Lviv felt still very much like a city that there were some weird things going on. This one, when we drove in and saw kind of the camouflage nets mm. and the tanks being hidden by foliage. Yeah. On the sides of the streets and trenches being dug down the paddocks that come into the city, it feels like a movie set, but it's real life and and there's like going to be a war here. Yeah, they're they're definitely preparing for for something quite big, and I think they look at a place like Kiev and can see how it may unfold. Yeah, and as your story said tonight, they've got the the ships waiting off the coast. Yeah, the ships are obviously like quite a unique thing to Odessa it's because it's got the big port and the coastline. I think it's concerning to them, although the warships have kind of been hovering there for a little while. They've reappeared. They It sounds like they're waiting for land forces to be here so that they have kind of a two-pronged attack. So I think obviously seeing them there and knowing that, that they're there, there's a heightened level of tension and just sense of alert for sure. How long do you think you'll be there for? Well, that's kind of informing our plans at the moment because there's only so much risk we're kind of prepared to take and the company's prepared to take. We've just actually had a meeting with a whole bunch of security team members about what the what the best course of action is, but but we've been going for a little while now. So, And this week has been crazy with the sirens. We've pretty much not slept, <laughs> so... We probably just need a good long nap. Yeah, a long nap. Um, I know, I saw that tweet where you were about to do a live cross and and the siren went, so you had to dip into the bunker. I mean, what was that like? Yeah, it's hard to believe. That was a weird and wild experience. We had the first siren and then came back to the apartment and then started getting ready for the live cross and then the siren went off again and we were like, oh, God, here we go. I spoke too soon. The alarms are going again. We're set up for a live cross, but uh, we're getting out of here. And rushed to the bunker and then just did it from there because we had no other option. 
So it is very serious business what Ukrainians are dealing with here. I want to show you uh, just how safe we are in a bunker like this. The, the doors are heavy, heavy steel. There are a few people in the room back there, but most people go to the basement straight under their houses. This is just a bonus one for those who don't have access to that. And that's kind of the story of the whole experience for us really is you're constantly juggling work with the reality of what you're doing. And a lot of the time you don't realise what you're doing because you're so focused on the work and you're so busy. And so I think sometimes when we see people messaging us and kind of sometimes when I watch our stories back, I'm like, whoa, there's a war going on. It doesn't, we're just kind of tunnel vision on the job, but sometimes that stuff I think takes a little while to sink in. Why are the sirens going off now? I mean, are they expecting Um, planes to to bomb any moment? From what I understand, it's, it's, uh, rockets being launched from like the south of Ukraine, China over near Crimea, and they sort of enter an airspace where they're picked up by the radars, by, by the radars, by the region. So it could be quite quite a wee way away, but it's kind of like a, a a warning system for the whole sort of area. I think also because of where Odessa is positioned, it gets a lot of the sirens because the rocket launchers that come from the Black Sea or even Crimea fly over Odessa to get to a lot of their targets. So they'll come over top of Odessa and then carry on north kind of 400 kilometres. That's what happened yesterday. There was this huge explosion in Kiev and it timed out perfectly with the siren we'd experienced. And there's a risk that something goes wrong with the rocket and it falls out of the sky earlier or, you know, it's intercepted or something happens and it lands here, even if it's not its intended target. So that's why the sirens sound. So how are you getting information like that? There's actually a crazy app, but everyone here uses it, but it's called Telegram and it's a nonstop information source for everyone here. Like I think a lot of it you do need obviously verify you can join like a channel, like a feed, and like the, yeah. the, there's one for for Odessa and the air raid sirens, and it'll tell you when they're when they're on and when they're when it's clear to go out of the bunker again. How do you decide where to go next? You've been on the border with Poland. Well, Lizette joins us now from Medica on the Polish-Ukrainian border. Lizette Reimer is on the border in Poland. In Poland, Lizette Reimer, news up. And then the next day, you're back in Ukraine. Has made it into the West Ukrainian city of Lviv. Welcome to Lviv, where an evening under curfew was punctuated by sirens. Thank you for your reporting from the edge of the conflict zone. And then it seems like the next day, you're back on the border. More than half of them have escaped here to Poland, where regular families now find themselves asleep on the floor of a mall. How do you make these decisions? scatter all the information and make a sort of educated guess, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I don't <laughs> know. It kind of has just happened quite naturally, to be honest. And we don't pre-think it too far ahead. Like, when we left London last time, we'd just got home from Kiev. We got back to London. And then we had a crazy 24 hours where a whole lot of weird stuff happened. We went to Paris for a day. It was just a bit mad. And then we got home and then the war started and we spent a day in London and we thought, oh, well, the, 
we probably won't be able to get back into Ukraine. That seems crazy. <laughs> We're not going back to Ukraine. That's crazy, we said. <laughs> We're watching all of the coverage and, and we instantly were like, we need to go to Poland because it was just a phenomenal staggering scenes coming out of that coverage already so then we left to Poland with the expectation we'd be there maybe two days and I'm a terrible packer I always overpack but I was like no Lisa be responsible pack a small bag like Dan's always telling you you're getting too much luggage on the airport fees so I was like I want to pack, I want to pack a small bag because we're just going for a couple of days and we haven't been home so it is really like watching where the other other big stories are coming from we're constantly assessing where is a really great story that we need to bring to New Zealand and is it realistic for us a small two-person team to be able to go in safely and get that story for New Zealand and try and match what these huge international networks are doing with teams of hundreds on the ground because we can't do everything they can but I think we're we're learning really quickly that we can do a portion of it. We just need to be sensible about like the risk. And we come in with a pretty strict plan. We have a coverage idea for every day, what we want in those stories and what we want to make sure we get. And then we get out. Why don't you stay for longer? I mean, what is the risk? To be honest, everywhere we've been in the days since we've left, there's been attacks. So I don't know if that's just like a statistical thing that there's an invasion happening and they're just hitting these places one after the other. I mean, we know we, we tend to go to a place that we know it's an interesting story at the moment on Odessa because an attack is imminent. So we want to be here to tell that story. But if an attack is imminent, we don't want to stay to the point where we are in a really dangerous and unsafe position mm. and can't get out. And how do you get around, Dan? I mean, do you have a car or how does it all work? When we're in Ukraine, we have a, a driver and a, a CPO, sort of like a protection officer. So they're, and they're both local guys and they just, they know their way around. They drive us where we want to go, basically. They're also an incredible source of information and knowledge and feeling. Their, their lives that they're living right now, I can't, I can't fathom the fact that we parachute into their world and we cover the story that's happening in their homes, in their backyard. The people are so resilient. Yeah, well, one of our our driver at the moment we found out yesterday is from Donetsk. So he's grown up in kind of an incredibly hostile environment and has had war for eight years where he's from. They're all so unassuming about it. You never kind of know they've got these remarkable backstories of of like a life that New Zealanders couldn't even begin to imagine. Even in Kiev when we were there before the war started, people were kind of very relaxed and calm about the whole thing. But then you'd kind of dig a little deeper and you'd hear these very extreme escape plans they had and like stashes of cash they kept and fuel that they had ready and weapons and you'd be like okay so this isn't like just so you know this isn't normal you are very much ready for war yeah and they're they're telling their their little kids you know what would happen when the russians invade you know but they've sort of put together an escape plan all these people we met were telling their like five-year-old children that a war was going to happen and the Russians were coming. And like, if I think about the things that I don't want to tell my nieces and nephews, it's like all the bad things in the world. So I was like, why are you telling your children that when the war hasn't started yet? But then when we were in Poland and even 
in Lviv and you saw the people escaping and the refugees, you realized like those children did need to have some element of preparation yeah. for that because it was even still so traumatic, even with the pre-warning. So how are the children, the ones that you've met? I just think so resilient, like probably better than the adults. They're, they're still smiling, like laughing, like playing. In the refugee centres, it's like a school camp. Just a bunch of kids having a ball with each other. Like They've got all these games. and Makeshift refugee camps have emerged on the Poland border and they are laden with love. Home-cooked meals are devoured by hungry newcomers who rest, recover and refuel. Firefighters sport their new stuffed toy accessories. We give this uh, teddy bear and uh, a lot of children smiles now. And the smiles soon burst into laughter. Children run around play-frighting, as if they haven't already had a big enough one to last a lifetime. But I'm sure that will that will wear off. Like we met a lot of soldiers who said, "Oh yeah, my my child just thinks they're on a holiday at the moment." But soon, that's not going to be a, a realistic story to tell them. The worst scenes I think we've seen, or I have seen at least, and I don't know how you feel with a with the goodbyes at the border. And I think like the kids were obviously very aware of what was happening there, saying yeah. goodbye to their dads, and that was pretty heart wrenching. Extremely traumatic, isn't it? There is definitely like a few grabs from people or images that I still think about often. I think about the 11-year-old who, yeah, she started crying, talking about her dad. My father stay in Ukraine. They can't uh, come here. Was that hard? Uh, because now it's war in Ukraine. And... Uh, And that was in Poland. She was so excited when we first started talking to her and she was like, I don't even think she understood what sort of emotion she had in her. She just wanted to like speak English to us and, and be on TV. And then kind of a few questions in, I think she it actually hit her in real time in front of us. And then just all of the children and the parents running down the train station trying to get on a train. There's another one I'll never forget. So they were at Lviv train station trying to get on trains to to Poland. Thousands of people waiting hours underground to catch a train to safety. The smell is horrific, but the fear is much harder to bear. Just so many people and just waiting for hours and hours in this train station for their turn to get on the train. I'm very sad and scared. <laughs> Mom as well. We didn't want to live there. We want to live in our house, our home. How are you feeling? Uh, feeling nervous. <laughs> so dangerous there. So uh... go go go. The trains usually carry, I think it's like nine hundred people, but they're stacking them full of kind of six thousand. So it's not a case of like I've got a ticket or I've got a seat. It's like it's can like, I physically yeah. get on that train? So they hold them all in like a holding pin underground and then release them section at a time. They're literally running just to get in a door and see if they can fit their family in there. And then they just kind of squash all in and then they can't get some of the other kids in. So they have to get out and run to another carriage. And then they kind of realize they're running out of train because there's no carriages left and such panic. Panic, yeah. I guess they've come so far. Like it's life or death. For you, what, what has been the most frightening moment? 
Oh, mine was this morning. I don't know what came over me, but we heard last night when we went to sleep that the, that the warships were there. So we had like a specific conversation being like, we really need to get out fast today. And so I got out really fast and I thought like yesterday that maybe that already gone. So I was like, I'll just go to the bomb shelter. And the siren was just so loud and I was so tired. I was by myself, it was pitch black. And then I got lost out there and then cops were coming past and they obviously you're under curfew. So they, they stop and grill you. So then I was like, now I'm by myself. It's like loud. I could not think. So then I pretty much just ran back to the hotel and then I was like, what am I doing? A siren's going like, now I'm back in the hotel. Like I was like, this is a disaster. They're probably in the bomb shelter. Now I'm just running around like a mad woman in Odessa. It was, it was awful. And Dean, what about you? Very unsettling talking to um, police and soldiers on checkpoints. and that. Everyone's very, very suspicious, especially when you've got a massive camera you're carrying around. You're sort of always on on edge with these with these guys. It's so hard when you don't speak the language and you're trying to pick up on on their body language mm. because there's people asking you for documents all the time. You know they're checking your passport and the, spies. The assumption and, yeah. is that you're a spy. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it's like it's so like gu- it's guilty yourself. until proven innocent. Yeah. What kind of grilling? What are they asking you? Well, half the time we don't know. Yeah, we so because the language barrier. So yeah. we've and this is why the security team is so helpful in so many ways is they can translate it for you and they can kind of help smooth the situation over. One of the things I think has helped us immensely, which is really bizarre, but no one knows News Hub and in, in Ukraine. They'll search it and it's geo-blocked. It looks suspicious. But we've been able to say Discovery because now we're owned by Discovery and that brand has been really helpful. Yeah. yeah. But if you were from like a small network that had like like News Hub. And they just mm. assume you're you're there on behalf of Russian media or Yeah. Yeah. And they assume always that the camera is a gun from ages or from a while away. <laughs> yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah, that's what the cop said to me. I said to us yesterday. Yeah, they, yesterday we got look, pulled over. It looks like a it looks like a javelin, which is those big rocket launches that they wow. use to gun tanks. Mm. So <laughs> what we've got this time round, which we haven't had in prior Ukraine trips, is a is a Ukrainian armed forces permit, which is now quite powerful. Because if we show that they kind of not it, it means we've had kind of a background check. Wow. But they, this, even if you're media, there's so much stuff you can't do. It like yeah. yesterday, Dan had to delete some of his footage yeah. in front of uh, military guys. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of restrictions. I got a shot of a tank, like a personnel carrier, parked up at one of the checkpoints. And one of the rules is you can't film military vehicles. So um, they made me delete the shot in front of them. The soldier that you spoke to tonight. We know what we are fighting for. We are fighting for our land. We. We are fighting for our people. They're fighting for, I don't know, they, they don't even know what they're fighting for. And he was so, seemed so willing to talk to you. That's the first soldier we've spoken to on camera, yeah. and we have asked a lot. Um, they're not really they're oh. willing to talk. No. That was, like, really lucky that we got him. There's so much suspicion and worry about giving away the strategy of the Ukrainian troops. And I think, like, in New Zealand, you kind of get used to, like, pushing the envelope when you're told not to do something. You're like, oh, yeah, we'll get, it. We'll get away with it. Once we've got the footage, we'll just take yeah. it and it'll be fine. But here it's like... You don't want to it's really, And it's also just really irresponsible and dangerous because yeah. you don't know what you kind of 
pushing the boundaries means for those soldiers or means for their fight. If that footage of a tank in a certain position defending a a port, a major port, a major strategic prize Mm. gets to the Russians, then that could really mean something for Mm. this. So it's not really something you want to mess around with. What's your feeling? You know, we've had rounds and rounds of peace talks. What's your feeling? I think any time there's a hint of optimism or hope within 12 hours, it's gone the other way. Mm. Um, Like even, I mean, a a few days ago, I did a live cross and all the the talk was that there was really positive developments in the peace talks. And then the next day they had peace talks and they were stalled after like an hour because no one was being productive. Everyone here just thinks Putin is a madman and that he's not going to give up because he's gone too far. He's, he's backed himself into a corner and now he's just going to take it to the end. How will this end? Uh, I think that uh, Putin die in his bunker and we will uh, will dance on his grave no one here wants to sacrifice independence or surrender it's gonna it's just gonna keep going i think the ukrainians are just they're just gonna dig in well they've given up nato now they've talked about the fact that they're willing to negotiate the independence of the two territories in the east pretty much it seems like the one sticking point they they have is that we want our independence and we just don't want russian troops here and I can't see a world where they compromise on that point. Mm. And I can't see a world where Putin backs down, backs down on that. Yeah. You sound like seasoned war correspondents. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's literally all we've been thinking about and and doing for we've like done we, no, we've done nothing else. We work like we work non like twenty hour days. And yeah. then we just sleep kind of for three hours if <laughs> we, we, can. we can. We don't think or do anything else. So it's like all we're consuming. <laughs> if we ever get like even three minutes of break, we just like nap. Just, we just sleep. <laughs> sleep any spare moment we've got. That Instagram thing that you posted, Lisette, where you'd forgotten to go and get oh. some food we saw what you had for dinner and how you, you a bit of Kiwi ingenuity, you, you cooked it, oh, you yeah. cooked pasta in the, in the jar. She's looking good. Amazing. Oh, I'm so good to Dan. I don't, I don't want to go hungry. And you served it up in a glass. Yeah. Yum. And you oh, had to God, eat it no with, a, with a teaspoon, Dan. Oh, that looks so good. <laughs> I drank my pasta. She gave me the we spoon. We only have one good. spoon. <laughs> so I have to say, you both look pretty amazing for, for people who only get three or four hours of sleep a night. I think so. I did my makeup in the bunker this morning, which was a real treat. <laughs> um, so we, we won't tell you what's for dinner because, you know, you... you... Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. I've been as good as my pasta. 
That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Lisette Raymer and Dan Pannett. Ka kite. <laughs>